Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Today we are with Holger Weiss. Holger is one of the veterans of future mobility in Germany, already has a longer career in the field, successful exits in the past, today working on German Auto Labs. Welcome, Holger. Good. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I was reading through your biography. We already know each other for a few years. I was reading up on it again. You are not the first time around the block, but maybe before we go there, all the startups and companies you launched before that you worked in before, let's quickly talk about your current product for those of us who haven't heard it yet. What does German Auto Labs do? German Auto Labs is developing a voice assistant software stack focusing on uh, professional drivers. So, I mean, we all know voice assistants like Alexa, Siri, etc., quite uh, popular these days. And we will see, and we see already a very strong development and evolution in certain industrial verticals. And we are focusing on, on drivers and, and here with a focus on people who spend time behind a steering wheel for making their lives, for earning money. You are self-described deep tech hardware startup in mobility yeah. based in Berlin. Yeah. All the buzzwords in one sense. Very exciting. And then you came out a few years ago actually with a piece of hardware that you called Chris. Yes. And many people have this picture in their mind, a small piece of hardware that was sitting on the dashboard of maybe also older vehicles and sort of voice enabling the car that they yeah. were um, connected yeah. to. This was sort of a probably prototype front runner, not all that you do today, but how did your products evolve since then? What concretely do they do today? What are use cases today? So that's that's perfectly correct. So we started uh, the company a bit over four years ago with uh, building Chris, a retrofit voice system for every car, coming from uh, with the with the hypothesis that the average car on German roads is ten years old. On the in, in the US, it's 13 years. So it's 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 not the fact that everyone is driving a six-month-old BMW or Tesla or whatsoever brand. And many of these people driving these cars uh, are always connected using their smartphones to their digital life to do navigation and so on and so forth. And the smartphone is the worst form factor you can have in a car. So we start, okay, let's tackle this and uh, let's give these people a solution with the retrofit, with the aftermarket digital assistant. That that was Chris. But Chris was always meant to be, I would say, the experiment to understand how people using digital assistants in the cars. And uh, that is with the consumer product way easier to measure because you have direct market access, you have direct response from consumers, etc. Of course, it was a kind of a adventure to build our own hardware for that, but we learned a lot. And we actually, we turned out to be completely independent on any other platform, which makes it very easy to roll out. So, but one thing we, we clearly understood over uh, the, the first two years is that people using assistance in the car, mainly in a, in a proactive manner. So if a voice assistant is giving you instructions, like a co-driver, a rally co-driver is, is warning you before a curve, how the curve actually is uh, in, in the conditions or how the conditions are after the curve. This is what you expect. 
It's not this what we know from the connected home and entertainment where you always have this hey assistant type of thing. Of course, our assistant was Chris and or is Chris and you call him hey Chris or her. But that is not how people are using this. And this is also how we never thought it. We really thought about the brain and the soul of a co-driver. And that is something that in a professional driver environment has the ultimate use case. Because that is where people driving vehicles through traffic, 10 tons, 15 tons, whatsoever, in denser areas, they have to communicate with recipients, with the dispatcher, they have to look on the scanner devices, find an address, etc. So a lot of parallel tasks, and this is a perfect environment for, for voice assistance. Is this another sort of stepping stone for you, also ultimately back into the consumer market and into vehicles, or do you see this professional driver market giving sort of voice assistance, probably around traffic, but maybe also around task management to professional drivers. Do you see that as your ultimate market or is that another sort of stepping stone ultimately towards ordinary cars? So it could, I mean, on, on my big picture, it's it's somehow a, a period um, that, uh, that we will uh, go into because those professional drivers are mainly organized, I would say, in fleets, commercial fleets. All these fleets are mainly all, I, I barely know one uh, fleet differently. All these fleets are multi-vendor fleets, so with cars from different vendors. Might it be Volkswagen commercial vehicles, uh, Mercedes, Renault, Citroën, um, you name them, right? And that is something that uh, is perfectly meant for a independent type of assistant platform. And that is what we're establishing here and really focusing on the on the means and the needs of professional drivers with a focus as we, at the moment, building solutions for last mile drivers. That has a very clear logic behind because the more stops people have in their daily routine, the more stress they have and the more an assistant can, uh, can help. So, but if we take this learning of, of the platform and of the technology, it's a tiny step to imagine that this might migrate into the cars migrate into commercial vehicles where uh, the platform also connects with elements like the lightning or anti-collision assistance, etc., where we then only build a, a vertical stack into that. So in that respect, you're correct with your question. It is a further step on a, on a wider strategy to become part of the automotive environment uh, or assistant ecosystem in a, in, a, in a vehicle. I think that's super interesting what you describe, how you are Yeah, focusing on this use case of last mile delivery right now. On the one hand, because it's also booming, but also I think everybody can imagine how stressful this environment must be to drivers. And then what you mentioned about having you know multi-brand fleets and probably as a company, you want to provide the same front end, the same infrastructure to all your workers in a way. And I wonder if you make it concretely about those tasks are not very generic or any sort of driving situation. How much of your technology investment has to go into the language processing part versus the, let's say, business process of last mile delivery and kind of the task management that comes with it and the customization around there? Because I imagine some of the voice components are more and more also available as a service. So Can you also integrate existing technology to then fine-tune to this use case? Or do you see yourself as also investing in the language part to have your native capabilities there? 
So I think what we what we currently have, and it's 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 a fantastic question and and a very precisely set in uh, into what uh, what we are thinking about uh, on a, on a technology and product level. So at the moment, uh, we uh, deploy our own voice stack. The dialogue management, the the natural language understanding, all of that is in-house development, and, and, and this is the right way to do because it keeps us independent. And because from day one we developed all our technology and strategy focusing on drivers and vehicles, we are able to do certain things at the moment that probably no one else can do, at least not so easy, right? So there are things like a voice assistant or our voice assistant can run almost 100% offline, so hybrid in the car. If the car is not in coverage or disconnected or in, in bad connection, et cetera, the assistant still needs to work. That's barely possible with the with the, with the popular platforms that you that you have today. Mm-hmm. Almost none of these platforms at the moment is made for mobile use cases, right? If you if you think about chatbot technologies, etc., that is all web based. It's it's a customer relationship, chatting, things like that. Then, of course, the proactivity. I mean. The, the language and the voice is one element of it, but the intelligence behind the mm-hmm. uh, the AI, huge AI type of set is building this intelligence to proactively interact uh, with the driver. So, nevertheless, describing the strategy as uh, growing more into the voice assistant ecosystem, we ultimately think about to run the user experience that we create also on other voice platforms. So what does it mean in, uh, in in detail or what does it mean concretely is that, no, we are not a last mile company. We are, uh, if you want, so a voice experience company. So that is something that has a lot to do if we go so, so vertical with domain knowledge. So we really spent time we we did because now it's very difficult uh, to sit in a in a last mile truck with the driver right now you need a corona test and you need a ffp2 mask and and, and so on so and, and and many of them rejected for good reasons so we don't enforce that but we did we spent time with drivers to understand how do drivers behave so and that means that yes it is a technology a gig that we that we're doing here to uh, to a very complex extent but it's not just pure technology it's also a, a domain knowledge user experience thing this then again and that's something that we learned is easily to multiply across all countries and, and networks. So no matter if we talk to partners in Japan, what we actually do, or if we talk to partners in, in France or in the UK, the last mile assistant behaves the same because the, the use cases more or less are the same across uh, all countries. Mm-hmm. When you try to build a voice technology company, you're up against some very big, probably the biggest players in tech that have their you know, voice solutions and sometimes offer them as a service. I think coming typically from the consumer side, but probably wanting to expand to different use cases. And you made an argument in the past where you basically said, well, um, the problem with those services is often that they are just data gathering machines basically to commercialize users for advertising later. And you were talking about that maybe some companies or some OEMs don't want that, want closed off system, and they don't get that from those big tech companies. They refuse that because that's their business model in the end of the day. Is that sort of a 
hope and a vision for the future, also a fairly German, let's say, perspective? Or have you actually seen that materialize? Are, do you know of use cases where companies are using smaller or newer services or paying extra right now to get uh, voice processing and not have that data migrate elsewhere, be used by the tech, big tech players? Oh, big time, big time. I mean, I cannot uh, give you names, but it's actually that one of our biggest partners is clearly saying never ever we will store or run or compute, etc. this address data, highly sensitive database through one of these popular platforms. We, we must not. And you see that if you look into the voice tech environment, it's it's very fragmented. I mean, there there are a lot of technology layers, horizontal layers, vertical layers. I mean, there, are tech, there, there there's voice technology that just analyzing the speech flow of sales agents to give them later on yep. uh, feedback, what words did they use right and wrong, etc. Mm -hmm. All these people call voice technology. Yeah. In 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 that respect. Of course, the big platforms will make a lot of things easier. And with Rasa, we have uh, here a Berlin-based open source platform that uh, will play a big role into that. And as said, I, I don't believe, I mean, and, and that's what I always say, we don't see ourselves competitive to someone like the Alexa or Google platform. And we know, I mean, how? I mean, <laughs> simply no, right? It's something where we clearly say there, there there are in this respective field cases and, uh, and 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 models where independent solutions just rule and uh, and 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 have have that justification what we see we are right so far nevertheless and that's also what i mentioned a couple of minutes ago we could imagine of course and we talk to these companies and they talk to us i mean they know about us of course i could consider that certain elements also might run together right? in a very complementary setting. So if you have a, a, one of the big platforms as a default platform in a vehicle environment, why not running my salespeople or a Salesforce assistant or my, my last mile assistant based on that platform? Since you're an entrepreneur and not a first time one, I want to get to that a bit later. Also, all that you um, did in the industry already before, probably same as for me, things can never yeah, go fast enough. You're basically thinking this all should be rolled out more by now. What's your, what do you think is your biggest bottleneck at the moment? Is that around talent or around maybe a market that just wasn't there this year because people don't really want to invest when they have to save a lot of cost or what's your biggest bottleneck at the moment to roll the technology that you have out faster? It's a little bit of everything. I mean, of course, if you are in, in, in deep tech technology and you're not ultimately, I mean, as I said, we are not in last mile optimization algorithms in a sense that uh, that we help companies like DHL, DPD or, uh, and so on, more efficient tool planning. I think that is, that's the tool that really boomed this year because mm -hmm. the last mile Uh, boomed so much. I'm also not in the in the in the food delivery business, etc. So, um, and and that is something that that I see across uh, many industries that uh, there is, of course, at the moment a certain focus on specific topics by the Corona pandemic. Right. So, but that's that's something you have this. I mean, that's 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 what it is. 
Another thing definitely is the overall understanding of how to deploy and use voice assistant and what voice assistant really can do. A lot of people, and, and that's the good and the bad of uh, this tremendous success of the Alexa voice platform and Google Assist, people still believe uh, two things. Uh, first of all, they, they believe it's about entertainment, right? It's about play that song, switch on light, put on my shopping list. This is what people are using a voice assistant for, right? I want to watch a movie with, uh, I don't know, David Hasselhoff. No one wants to do that, but I mean, that's something that could work. So that's one thing. The other thing is that people actually do not use voice assistants on, on a consumer level as we might gonna expect that, right? I mean, everyone still can remember this moment when you first found the first Easter egg with Siri, right? So there was a stupid question and a funny answer. <laughs> That was so, and then you went to your to to your office or your gang or whatever uh, in your evening sports, and you showed this everyone. You do this three four times, then it's starting to get boring, mm -hmm. um, and that is something why we also focusing so much on use case driven implementation. But that is simply something, and I mean thanks that you uh, mentioned that. Yeah, of course. I mean sometimes as entrepreneurs you are impatient because things need time to evolve. In our case, it's uh, specifically because it's it's a complex technology. There's a user behavior behind. It's also an B2B environment where sometimes sales cycles uh, take a bit longer. Uh, nevertheless, I mean, we see from our tests, just recently we drove uh, with one of the, fundamentally, it's one of the largest logistic companies in the world. And we drove a two-month pilot with them in the, in, in the UK. And we see on almost a daily level, how we increase the performance of drivers, right? I mean, it's it's something, it's too short to really say, okay, we reduce accidents or things like that, but we can increase the performance simply by the level of comfort and and, and the way how, how this is, is working with them. And that's the future of, of workforces. I mean, that is something where we also need to be patient because there's a lot of influence, but eventually we will end there. Maybe let's take a few steps back beyond German Auto Labs and its product right now to already some steps you did before and then land again in the Berlin and German tech scene of today. So I was reading up on it again. You basically started out in business, marketing, sales, even Axel Springer was on your list, but then you were part of the leadership at Gate 5 that not everybody knows of today, but that basically later became known as here or became acquired by? How did that go? I'm not 100% sure how Gate 5 was uh, acquired by here or renamed as here. Over time renamed uh, as here, but uh, mm -hmm. the, the name Gate 5 was our company. I joined the company right after got uh, founded early 2000. And we developed this type of navigation system in a nutshell. I mean, there were seven years that we worked with this uh, until we had the, the right product market fit. And then Nokia acquired the company in 2006 in summer and uh, integrated it into, into the Nokia strategy. It became Nokia Maps, the navigation solution for Nokia phones at the time. And then Nokia did a way bigger acquisition with the Navtech in Chicago for 7 billion US dollars. It was uh, at the time one of the two digital mapping data supplier and that got merged And then they did a lot of other acquisitions. And our, at that time, uh, CEO, Gate5 CEO became the head of that unit. 
and they then formed here out of that. So, mm-hmm. and here fundamentally then got acquired from Nokia by three German car makers, and that's maybe now five years ago. So mm-hmm. that's that's the story. That's very well known by most people in the industry because yeah. it was unexpected competitors getting together and and daring to go into this technology yeah, themselves. Was, uh, by my by my knowledge, it was the the largest single acquisition uh, someone like, for example, BMW did. I mean, at the end, I think the acquisition was four billion, and uh, Mercedes, Audi, and BMW acquired this asset together. Very visionary, but of course, out of an environment where this never had happened before. Mm. So you were part of the Berlin tech ecosystem already from the 2000s. And the Gate 5 acquisition is one that I was also reading about. It's like written up a lot, basically one of the early success cases in Berlin. And then mm-hmm. part of uh, here, which was known into the automotive companies. Then you launched a new company afterwards. You went back out of the sort of corporate, probably I assume more and more corporate environments into launching a new company. What was what was that about, Alpeo? That was, um, actually, I was uh, I was not founder, but uh, uh, early uh, angel investor. In okay. Alpeo, and that mm-hmm. was an uh, interesting experience. I was, uh, after Nokia acquired our company, Gate5, I moved to Hong Kong for Nokia and spent two years in, in Hong Kong doing a software business for navigation out of out of that hub. So, and then I came back and built for Nokia Maps the first automotive unit, if you want so, because Nokia having navigation became an interesting partner for the car industry. Everyone at the time had a Nokia phone in the car, right? Mm-hmm. Long time back, it was a, a year before the, the iPhone launch. And so, and, and, and then I was uh, back in Berlin and uh, start to connect here with, the at that time startup scene and uh, bumped into the founder of Alpeo and and Alpeo and uh, did an angel investment. And then I joined them in 2010 as a a CEO. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that was interesting because Alpeo originally was a music streaming company, consumer music streaming. That was uh, Mm -hmm. at the time when SoundCloud and Spotify, etc. That was the time, 2007-8, when all these companies got uh, founded. And uh, the original concept or idea of Alpeo was to build a music streaming service with the extraordinary API to integrate into connected devices. That was a very visionary view. So connected to connected TVs, etc. So while all other music servers mainly were focusing on websites and the very early steps into apps, I mean, the first iPhone was with without App Store. <laughs> even mm-hmm. with the, without camera. So app stores uh, was something that, that were just uh, about to start. And Alpeo provided this API. And through this, we pretty quickly found our way into the automotive industry again. Because in 2011, when the world eventually, in just one and a half years, adopted the, the touchscreen as the new standard and, and apps as the new standard, every car maker wanted to have apps in the car. And with having a music streaming service, that was a very known common scheme. It was like a car radio. We actually started to address and to contact a lot of car makers. And uh, then in 2013, we managed to sell the company to car supplier Panasonic Automotive. It's really fascinating. Also, like revisiting what you just mentioned, 2011. So first, when you started out, you said everybody, of course, has a Nokia in their car. And then around 2011, the iPhone starts. Within a year and a half, we learn 
to expect a touchscreen and later an app ecosystem and how recent to actually remember how recent that was. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me, like, from which year did this start, I wouldn't have been able to tell you, like, right off the top of my no, no, head. No, and of course, I know it so exactly because it, uh, th those were the, the, the milestones we had. But, yeah. of course, every one of us yeah. would think, oh, that was iPhone, probably 2004, five, like yeah. that. But yeah, yeah. the iPod only came in 2001. And it makes me think about what's, what can be also a next step and how quickly that can come. And so... I'm not an expert in this topic. You are much more than I am, but a lot of people t seem to think that a voice is a much more natural way of interacting with your device, obviously, than like the slow way of typing stuff in, be that on a touchscreen or keyboard, doesn't matter. And I agree. And, I agree. And, and, and so uh, I wonder how fast that can go eventually. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's really fascinating. And so we kind of landed back at German Auto Labs and based in Berlin, but a very international team. I think you also have... I was reading somewhere, maybe 20 nationalities or so, but there are a lot of, it's a diverse team, a lot of different people in the company. So you're not kind of confined to Berlin. I also saw you in different places around the world over the years. Like I would never be surprised if you are like attending or speaking at whatever conference anywhere, like in America or in Asia, probably. And still, I want to ask you about sort of your experience right now, your outlook bullishness in a way about the German and Berlin um, tech ecosystem. Mm. You were quoted in an article kind of recently, September, where German Startup Association published some numbers about KI specifically, or um, AI, sorry, AI in Germany, it's KI, Künstliche uh, Intelligenz, but artificial intelligence industry, and they were just comparing investment numbers. And so I think that I don't, I don't think it's like a sort of public responsibility or the government's responsibility to build X, Y, Z. And I'm skeptical about the work of associations sometimes, but I do love it when they just publish numbers, just not somebody's opinion. This is just the bare numbers. And so they said in artificial intelligence investments last year, VC investment into AI companies per head, Israel about $120, US $60, Germany $4. So <laughs> it's very staggering. The level of investment into these kind of companies in Germany is extremely low. Is that for you maybe a problem or you don't care because you have an international network, you travel internationally? How does that affect you? Yeah, yes and work? no. Yes and no. Because I mean, of course, if you decided to build your company here in, in Germany, in Berlin, you to a certain extent depend on, on local funding because this is how you start and, and, and this is also what is justifying to be here. On the other side, yeah, there is a global uh, investment uh, scene. Nevertheless, it shows quite exemplary how the situation at, at the moment looks. I mean, there are definitely very strong, I would say, uh, ambassadors and front runners for the AI topic in uh, in Germany. We have with the uh, with Merantix, a uh, whole company builder of AI startups in the city and. They also raised uh, quite significant um, money to build these startups. So it's there and it, it might take longer. On the other side, it also shows where the music is playing at the moment. Right? So the really strong AI companies, I mean, Israel is, is, is legend with respect to, uh, to that environment. And uh, I mean, Israel historically was not a consumer type of startup company with with waste and, and with the movie, et cetera, they have proven um, that they also can deliver that, but it's, it's mainly deep tech. And, and the same you also see, of course, in Silicon Valley a lot through the ecosystem that you have there. 
very strong universities, very strong education, tight links between startups, institutions like universities, research, governmental funds, uh, and so on and so forth. And while it's getting better in Germany, we are definitely not yet there. Right? And, and the numbers are staring. On the other side, I also read a number just uh, before our interview. I think Handelsblatt yesterday published an article or a couple of days ago where they said it's another record year for startup funding in Germany, somewhat 38 billion in 2020, with a very positive note on the evolution of the ecosystem. And I think that's correct. I mean, looking back to where we started with Gate 5 in 2000 and where we are today, it's a very diverse environment with very different type of technologies. It's not all fun and social, what it was in the 2010s. It's really deep tech, it's content. But on the other side, you also have to see that it's it's something where if, if we really go deep tech, it's the minority of startups that get this very good funding, right? I mean, the 38 billion, I don't have a breakdown, but I would expect it's in the in, in the usual suspects, it's in the trend topics, etc., where you see that a business model actually is working. And I mean, this is how it is. Of course, I, I, I raise uh, 40, 50 million once I'm on the hockey stick growth, uh, but it does not mean that deep tech is well funded yet in Germany, or it's easy to fund deep tech in Germany. What is something that startup founders like yourself, like maybe me, should do or can do to help grow this ecosystem beyond just maybe focusing on our companies trying to make those successful? Or is that enough? Is that all we should be doing? No, I mean, there, there are different levels. Of course, there is, a, I would say, um, this, this general lobby level where it's about uh, also to uh, shout out and, and make clear how big startups became as a employer factor, as an innovation factor, a cultural factor, etc. But that's something I think where the, the German Startup Association, etc., doing a good job and an and a increasing good job, I would say, connecting with the with politics and so on. And then there is, of course, I mean, there are all these meetups when you go into the more specific industry topics. That's something. And I think then there is then there is also something like really, I would say, fostering an ecosystem and 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 the attitude that I at least don't feel yet in Germany. But maybe it's also that I don't starting my startup career I'm in the middle or ending. I don't know <laughs> whatsoever. But this inspiration that we all feel when we go to Israel or uh, to the West Coast. The spirit where everyone is is constantly thinking about doing something, and, uh, and 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 this input you're coming back after four weeks in the valley and say, "Wow, I don't know how how, how you could stand that if you're living there." <laughs> that is that's something I don't know how you see that. I mean, uh, at the moment uh, you asking question, but I would ask that. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, how how you see that? Do you feel this in the same way as you feel it in the US? I mean, once we met uh, coincidentally at the airport center, yeah. still share the cap. Uh, to town, so I know you are there, and uh, and and Wunder also is very active there. Yeah, I think it's totally true. I think that you can feel like a camel in the desert sometimes when you are uh, working on these topics here, and that it's really helpful even today still, of course, to spend some time over there. Last fall, I spent 
almost three months in San Francisco with my yeah. whole family, like kids, everybody moved there, kind of working from there just to have the chance to uh, meet with a lot of people. And I think it's really, really helpful, but I, I don't want it to sound kind of like finger pointing or so. I think that it feels like we have all the tools at our disposal. Nobody's holding us back. We have a lot of resources, very free uh, to travel wherever and all that. So just thinking about uh, we can yeah, change that reality, but of course, then the day-to-day -day also catches up. It's about, you know, getting the next uh, sale done and all uh, internal meetings and then funding rounds and all that. Your own company basically dominates the whole day, the whole week. And so if I, if you mentioned, for example, other ecosystems seems to have, seem to have strong universities and there seem to be good interactions between companies, top universities and talent coming from there. And so, and then I ask myself, do I find sort of these counterparts and this talent in Germany or in, in Hamburg, in my case, maybe in Berlin, in Munich. And then I have to ask myself, how many professors, for example, did I contact there or how many events did I attend at the Technical University in Hamburg? So and I never attended any there. So it's also a question of not only realize, beginning to realize what we would like to see, but taking some time out of an otherwise busy day to begin to make that a reality. I think nobody would hold us back probably. Or we'll see then, but have to not wait for the government probably to do that. No, I agree. I agree. I, I think um, the, 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 gov the government plays recently a good role into that. Mm. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's on us, certainly. Yeah. I would like to look sort of a little bit into the future towards the end of our conversation, because we dove a lot into how you got started, what the company is today, what the products are today. It's become, I think, quite clear, specifically what you're focusing. It's quite clear that can be hugely beneficial. And where do you see the company maybe five or even 10 years in the future? So do you have sort of, well, I mean, maybe that's not so easy to say publicly, but is your vision more to be a tech leader that eventually also becomes part of a larger ecosystem? Or would that future look very differently? What's an ideal evolution in five or 10 years for German Auto Labs? I think, I mean, honestly, I think it's, it's it, indeed, I mean, it's, it's not easy to talk about this in detail really publicly. But I also would say that at that point of time with the technology that we are focusing on, it's very difficult to tell. Right? Because what we're seeing at the moment and that counts for, for many of those ecosystems that have been built over the past decades in tech. What starts out as a standalone business might migrate as the missing link in a bigger ecosystem to make it swing, right? So what I want to say is that an ecosystem is characterized by the fact that the, the interaction of, of various otherwise independent elements mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, going back in the early 2000, we had 3G, UMTS, uh, we had Java-enabled phones who could uh, make use of that. We had web browsers and so on. All of that somehow was there, but it took another five, six, seven years until the iPhone that mobile internet really became to what it is today. It, I mean, it changed the world. It's ruling the world. This is this is what it is. We are constantly online, and we are not online on our big screens. We are online on our small screens. So, and to make that happen, a lot of things had come together and migrate and merge, etc. So, I cannot say if we look ten years ahead if what we're doing at the moment is ultimately a standalone type of business, or if it's 
the essence of what you get, for example, if you deploy the five leading fleet management softwares mm -hmm. in the world and you have the intelligence of a co-driver mm -hmm. built into that. And that's something that uh, we will we will figure out as we as we all do, right? I mean, again, we don't <laughs> talk about you today, but I mean, looking back, my six seven years, uh, yeah. and, and where Wunder is today, it was not exactly what mm -hmm. uh, what you started with, and, and and with us, it's also mm -hmm. the same. And but I'm looking very very positive into into the next year. Yeah, me too. I think that would be such a huge relief, hopefully. So all signs are turning. Maybe they are right now on yellow, so they were all red and now they switched to yellow. And then like in the Formula One race, we're waiting for everything to turn green. And then we'll go. Um, so I think that would be a much, much nicer. <laughs> and that's helpful. Um, that's helpful. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy for all the founders who actually were on the right side of the fence in this uh, pandemic. But there definitely are some industries who uh, got badly hit. I mean, yeah. definitely. All right. It was very nice to talk with you again today at length. Think, thanks for yeah, explaining a lot how all of this works and best of luck on the next steps. Thanks for having me, Gunnar. And uh, yeah, best for you and uh, all the best for, for the next year for you, the little family growing <laughs> and, uh, and the company. Thank you. <laughs> talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.